we rejoice. Now let's have our Bible open. We read from John chapter 1. I also want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's go there. Luke chapter 1 as well. We're getting you warmed up here. We're going through a lot of verses this morning. And I trust it will be profitable for us to do so. Your thumbs might be sore. And I trust your mind will be stretched and your heart will be warmed. Luke chapter 1. Let's read here a couple of verses. And the verse number 5. Luke 1 verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Verse 8. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, that's Zacharias, in the temple here. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, verse 9, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So get the scene here. He, he's in the, the house of God uh, and he's burning incense, okay? And they're all outside praying. It takes an awful long time. An extraordinary long time and they're fearful that something has happened. There was, uh, of course, it happened on a number of occasions when priests would have went in and they came before God and God consumed them. That happened. Uh, the difficulty was those priests had to be pulled out. And so it was a fearful thing when someone went in and took a long time. The people were anxious. Verse 10 then. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel, the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. He thought, right, this is it. I'm going to be the one consumed here. He was troubled and fear fell upon him, verse 12 tells us. Now verse 13, but, we're thankful for the wee word, but changes everything. But the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. It's by the word of prayer. Our Lord and our God, we bow before thee today. We bless thee for thy great goodness and graciousness toward us. Here we are, Lord, in our homeland, and we are saturated with truth and blessing and opportunities, Lord, both to fellowship with one another and to learn from the word of God in our mother tongue. Lord, our minds go, and even to our missionaries this morning who have left their homes who have left their families and uh, some of them, Lord, with difficult circumstances today. Lord, give them grace today and encourage them. For us, Lord, today, we pray you would take now your word, you would speak to us, Lord, you would help us this morning. 
and be pleased, Lord, genuinely to lead us on with thyself, that we will have greater views of God and smaller views of ourselves. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. Elizabeth and Zacharias were childless. And that was a great burden to them at this time. It was very clear that they had been praying that God would give them a child because the angel says that in verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Listen, if you want an encouragement on the subject of prayer, you won't get it more clear than it is here. They prayed, God heard, God answered. That's powerful. It really is. But they were told here that they would bear a son, and that was their prayer. And their son was to be called John. Now, to be truthful, it was my intention today to look at John himself and to, to bring some important thoughts from his life to direct us to Christ. But just actually this week, I was, I was doing a job or two and I was mulling over my mind things about John and the question came to my heart, what does the name John actually mean? The beautiful meaning, the magnificent meaning. I'm sure at times you have read the meaning of your name. Sometimes you get those, you know, key rings you'll buy for like, well, they used to be like 45p. They're probably £10 now, but anyway. Um, or you might get the wee mugs, and they might have your name. And then it has, a, I was going to say a definition, but it's definitely not. They have a description of what your name means. And usually, it's always very positive. It's always flattering. Usually, your name means warrior, strong, resilient, tender, kind, beautiful. It's always positive. To be truthful, 95% of it's probably nonsense, okay? You never get a mug or a key ring that says your name and it says your name means ugly, irritable, annoying. Why? Because nobody would buy it. So nobody makes that mug or that key ring. So you usually have positive text on your name. But when you come to the Bible, people actually gave names, not because they like the sound of the name, but because it was relevant. There was a reason. Someone may have had, had, a, had a name because some bodily uh, distinctive that they had when they were born, like Edom, Red, for example. Well, when John was born, he was given the name John. The name John has a meaning, and its meaning is most important here. It means Jehovah is a gracious giver. Jehovah, I never knew that before. John means Jehovah is a gracious giver. And there's not a more fitting name for this wee boy. Remember that his parents were childless. And they had been praying. And so God gave them a son because Jehovah is a gracious giver. And to be truthful, when I began then to study John, I didn't get beyond his name. But that's huge. And that's worth pausing upon this morning and meditating upon. Now bear in mind, it wasn't Zacharias and Elizabeth who gave their boy this name. It was the angel told them, this is what his name has to be. The reason for that was, 
they weren't going to call him John. They wouldn't have naturally called him John. If you stay in chapter 1 and turn with me to the verse 59. Verse 59, remember, if you can recall the whole story, and might look at it in weeks ahead here, um, his father was struck him with dumbness so that he couldn't speak. And when it came to the dedication of their boy and the giving of his name, they were going to call him Zacharias. So chapter 1, verse 59, and it came to pass that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. So, so again, when it came to naming children in those days, it wasn't the mum and dad sat down with a wee book of popular names uh, for the century, or they, they, they thought about what names sounded nice. No, it was just assumed what the name of the child would be. And everybody just assumed, and they all gathered, and they were calling this wee boy Zacharias. Look at verse 60. And his mother answered and said... That's because Zacharias couldn't speak, so his mother spoke. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. What are you doing? It is completely out of tradition. Verse 63, And he answered, and Zacharias, And he answered, or sorry, he asked, for a writing table, and wrote, saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. So, there's a strange thing. Okay, it wasn't custom. And what was more strange was, as soon as he put, well, I was going to say pen to paper, but that would not have been the case. Um, but anyway, quill to script. When he did so, what happened in verse 64 was, and his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God, and fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. So this is a, this is a big event. This wee boy was called an unusual name for the family. This was out of custom. And as soon as his name was declared by his father, his father's tongue was loosed, and he began to speak. And the people thought, what manner of child is this? Well, of course, they didn't understand all that had happened. God had said, I'm giving you a son, and his name will be John, because he was graciously given. But furthermore, this would be John's life. He would declare that God is a giver. God is a giver. He gives salvation. We read of John's message. Again, when we look at it in weeks to come, but we read it in John chapter 1 there, earlier on. And John declared that this is the Lamb of God. Who cometh to take away your sins. He's giving salvation. So we have a God. Who is a generous giving God. Now I don't want to be misunderstood again this morning. I'm not saying for a minute. Get saved. Because God will give you lots. I'm not saying get saved because God will make you rich. That is not always the case. But. For fear of being labeled a prosperity preacher, sometimes people will shy away from the subject that God is a generous giver. He is. So we're not preaching prosperity gospel, but we want to defend the reality this morning that God is an abundant giver. So 
with your thumbs at the ready. Let's go to portions of Scripture this morning that state how God is a giver. Let's go first of all to 2 Corinthians, where we read some time ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the verse number 6. And these things, brethren, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one uh, against another. Now, that's not the right verse. That's a good start, isn't it? 2 Corinthians, I'm in 1 Corinthians, that's why. So you're all sitting looking at the right verse and wondering, is that man speaking in tongues? Well, this book uh, says we should not do so, and I don't intend to do so. Okay, 2 Corinthians then, chapter 4 and the verse 6. For God who commanded the light, that's the verse. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shine in our hearts to give. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is the creator of light. I mean physical light. We see that in creation. That he gave light. And then after having made light, he made the sun to be a bearer of light. But that's not what this verse is talking about. But it does use the analogy that before, when there was only darkness, when there was nothingness, God created light. And God does that creative work in every individual he sees. He creates light in your soul, in a dead man's heart, so that before you couldn't see and now you do see. And that's the experience of salvation. And God gives this. So read the verse with that light again. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that's creation, hath shined in our hearts in the same way to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So God opens up your heart, your mind. He enables you to see. He gives light to your uh, soul so that you can see the glory of God. That's salvation. When you see his greatness, when you see that your sin deserves to be punished. And listen, this is not something that we work up within ourselves. There's not a wee spark of good. And we kind of blow upon that spark so that we come to realize how glorious God is. This isn't something that we receive from our forefathers before us. This ability to see, understand the glory of God, this gift of salvation. This is not something that's obtained through scientific research. This is not something that's pushed on us or implanted in us by religion. No, this is something that God gives. When somebody's saved, it is a work of God who gives light to understand his glory, his greatness, his excellency. And in response to that, we bow down and we give him glory. And we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a sermon in itself. I'm not even going to comment on that. But for now, let it be understood that it is God who gives light so that we know him. You're saved today, it's because of God's grace and God giving you that light. 
We turn with me then to Romans chapter 4. Let's go there. Romans chapter 4. These verses aren't in any particular order as you work through them, but Romans chapter 4 and the verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And the middle of that verse speaks there about God quickening the dead. He quickeneth the dead's exact words there. What that means is he gives life. He takes you who were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, and he actively quickens you, gives you life. He gives you light. Can you see what's going on here? God is transforming you. You didn't do any of it. It's all a gift of God's grace and God's goodness. Like I said, God creates light, like physical light. He gives you then the light in your soul. God creates life. He's the one who gave Adam and Eve their breath. He is the one who gives breath to every babe that's born. But he also is the one who gives spiritual life. He makes you who are dead and sins to live. God gives this. He quickeneth. quickeneth. Go to verse, well, I'll just mention this, and boys, you all know this one. He's the one who gives then wisdom. James 1, the first five, where it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and it breedeth not, and it shall be given him. He gives wisdom to us. And that's something to pray for. He gave it to Solomon. Ecclesiastes says the same thing. God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. Well, you see that today. He's the one who gives us wisdom. He gives us knowledge. He gives us joy. He's a giving God as the name John presents. Let's stay in the New Testament and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And here's one perhaps that people sometimes struggle with. Matthew 5 and verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun, S-U-N. He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And what you have there is what's called common grace. There is saving grace where God bestows saving grace upon some to be saved. Not everyone enjoys that. But this common grace is upon all men. And this is magnificent because in this same portion, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and elsewhere in the Bible, we are told about loving our enemies. That's what the Lord's doing. He is graciously behaving in a good manner toward those who despise him. Those who are evil. Evil means they're breaking God's commandments. They are cursing the name of God. They are despising his goodness. They are abusing his goodness. They are taking advantage of his goodness. Yet he keeps the sun rising on the evil and the just. And he gives the rain to the evil and the just. You have an ungodly farmer. 
And he goes, every time you speak to him, it's a string of curse words. Completely desecrates the Lord's day. Knows nothing of tithing his tenth to the Lord. Would have darkened the door of a church. But he abuses the rain, the sun. He's angry when it doesn't come. God's still graciously giving it to him. God's a giver. We ought to give him thanks for that rather than abusing it and taking his name in vain. There's a couple here I'm going to fly through really quickly. We'll not even turn to them. God is the one who gives us the increase. And we read that over and over again in every aspect of life. In the work of God, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, you know, one man plants and another man waters. It is God that giveth thee increase all right he gives the increase that's spoken of as well in the family situation god gives increase he multiplies children it is god who may increase you physically he may increase you financially he certainly increases you in wisdom all those things he's an increasing god he gives the increase he gives the victory but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through your lord jesus christ that's first corinthians 15 it's talking there specifically about death that god gives the victory over death and that's massive isn't it actually that is one that's worth pausing with for a moment let's go to first corinthians because this is huge death is the one thing that we will all Uh, We will all encounter. But when we come to God, he is the one who gives victory over death. Okay, so go with me to verse 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he gives the victory over death, everyone. Even death cannot stop God graciously giving you. Jehovah is a gracious giver. Even when death comes to you, listen, your family might give to you, your church might give to you, your friends might give to you, but see, when you die, nothing can give you anything but perhaps a nice burial. But you're God, but God giveth and giveth and giveth again. He gives you the resurrection. He gives you life eternal. Keep going. Not because there's no content, because there's so much to get through here. He is the one who gives rest from our enemies. I'm not going to take those portions, but Deuteronomy and Samuel and so on. Um, God specifically says that when I take you over the Jordan and I put you into the promised land, you will enjoy rest from your enemies. And the people of God did enjoy rest. Now they began to sin against God and then the Lord sent the enemies again. And that happens. The Lord can give us good things, but we can, we can blow it by abusing those good things, sinning against God, and he sends the thorns. That very often happens, men and women. I think upon David, young David, when he went to slay Goliath, and he made it very clear that this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, that the world might know that there's a God in Israel. Okay, he's the one who delivers. That's something to pray for, men and women. That the Lord will deliver us from all enemies in this day, from the enemies of the gospel, from the enemies of Christ, from every enemies you have in your heart and mind, from the devil who would plague and torture us and tempt us to sin, as we saw on a couple of nights through the week of prayer there. He's the accuser of the brethren. Lord, deliver us. Didn't he ask us to pray for that? Deliver us from our enemy. He's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. 
Again, you read of that multiple times, but in 1 Thessalonians, in the verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says that exactly, that he giveth the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for that and pray for that minimum. That's what we need in this church. That's what you need as an individual. God, give me the Holy Spirit. If you're still in Corinthians, Thessalonians isn't too far away, so let's look at it here for a moment. Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the verse number 8. He therefore despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who, also, who hath also given us the Holy Spirit. He gives it in salvation. He gives it again and again to empower and to equip the people of God to live to a victory over present sin. Let's keep praying for that. Lord, give me the Holy Ghost today, every day. Pray, fill me with thy spirit. Furthermore, Job in chapter 35 tells us that God gives us a song in the night. He giveth a song in the night. When troubles are about us, when difficulties, as we're praying earlier on, for those who are sick in our congregation and those who are sorrowing, and not only our congregation, but our missionaries and our families and friends, God can give a song in the middle of the night. Like there was uh, Paul and Silas in prison. God gave them a song. They're fit to sing of God's goodness, even when things were going bad. There's nothing like it when we're sick, sorrowing, uh, and suffering. It is good to have that song to sing. God's goodness. Nothing picks up like it. He is also the one who gives strength. Psalm 68 states that very truth, that he gives strength to those who need it. He is the one who gives us our very breath. Isaiah 42 makes that clear. Every time you inhale, exhale, God's giving it. That's God's gift to you. You know what you thank God for today? Every time you breathe, thank him for your breath. He gives, um, he gives furthermore freedom. He gives justice and food. Would you go with me to Psalm 68 for a moment? Again, worthwhile turning up here, men and women. Psalm 68. We're going to be in the Old Testament here for a minute or two as we try and clump as many of these together as conveniently as possible. Sorry, Psalm 147. Psalm 147 it is. Let's go there. We thought about him giving us our breath, and that indeed he does. One four, Psalm 146 and the verse 7, and it says there, which execute of justice, which execute of judgment for the oppressed. There's his justice that he gives to us. And we need justice only. Which execute of judgment. <clears throat> for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord listeth the prisoner that are freedom. There's three things all put together there. Justice, food, freedom. We're glad of that. We go to Isaiah. It speaks there about God giving us our very water. All right, our breath, our food, our water. You have justice mentioned there as well. And our freedom. God gives us those things and therefore we ought to give him thanks for them. What about emotionally? We don't just need physical blessings. We need emotional blessings as well in times of sorrow. What about Isaiah chapter 14? Let's go there. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14 and the verse number 
3. And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow. Isn't that beautiful? Someone who feels the difficulties and problems of life. Isaiah 14, 3. Read it and let it sink in. Give The Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve. And so he's coming to those who were in difficulty and he's telling them, I'll give you victory. I'll give you uh, rest from your sorrow. We need that emotionally at times, don't we? You go with me also as you think about God giving help with sorrow. Go to Isaiah 61. He's the one who gives um, beauty for ashes. Isaiah 61 and the verse number 3. You know, verse number 1 talks about those who are broken hearted, those who are captives, those who are prisoners. But Isaiah 61 verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And the point being made here is the Lord doesn't abandon you when times of sadness and mourning come along, not at all. He's there to abundantly give. We're not going to get through all of this. That's very clear. But let me move very quickly to say this. The most obvious thing that will come to your mind, of course, is the fact that well, God gives us his son. Rejoice in that in John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son. But whosoever believed him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We're thankful for that great gift of the son of God. You see, Romans 8, 32 makes it very clear. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's giving all things. He's given his son. He hasn't spared his own son. And think about that when you pray. You have needs, you have burdens, or churches needs and burdens, or lands needs and burdens. God hasn't withheld his son for you and for Lord. He'll give us what we need. He gives us all things that we need, of course, and we're thankful for that. He gives us a great inheritance through his son. The son died, and we You know, when someone dies, they may have inheritance. Well, the son died, and he gives us his inheritance. He's a giver. Let me draw this here to a close. As we think about God giving us his son, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And here we'll we'll park the subject. Because all I want to do this morning is really flesh out the meaning of John's name. That Jehovah is a gracious giver. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And here is a magnificent portion. In fact, if there's really any chapter in the Bible that would summarize in a phenomenal way the giving of God, here you have it. Let's fly through this, okay? I'll just comment as we run through it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number, we'll go straight for verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Okay, so he's giving us, and we're thinking primarily upon spiritual blessings now. We're not thinking about food, not thinking about war, not thinking about rain, not thinking about justice. No, we're thinking about spiritual blessings. Okay, verse 4. According as he hath, number one, chosen us in him. He has chose us before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Number two, verse five. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. He has predestinated us that we would be his children. And that is by Jesus Christ. It's by Christ's work that he does us. Why does God give? Why does God give us these spiritual blessings? Well, read the end of verse 5. According to the good pleasure of his will. That's why God gives. It's not because you're great and he just thinks you're loved and he wants to give because you're so special. No, the Lord gives according to the good pleasure of his will. End of verse 5. Verse 6. To the praise of his glory of his grace, when he hath made us accepted he has accepted us as his servants as his citizens to join in his kingdom and we're accepted in the beloved not because we're good but because christ is verse 7 and whom we have redemption we have redemption through his bloods the forgiveness of sins there's two more things listed that god gives to us verse 9 Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. That's a reference to the word of God. He's revealed himself to us. Verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Again a gift. We have inheritance. And we're going to enjoy when we enter into heaven. We will have all that God has given to us. Verse 13. In whom also... In whom ye also trusted, after that he after ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye were believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He's given you the Holy Ghost. I'm not mentioning them all here, read it yourself when you go home, but go to chapter two, verse one, and you hath he quickened. Alright, he's quickened you. Verse number six. And have raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse number 8 of chapter 2. For by grace are ye saved. That is a gift of God as well. Move on down here. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the bloods of Christ. Okay. Verse 15. Uh, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. He has removed the enmity so that we can be friends with God. That's what it means. Isn't it powerful? Move down to verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. You're in the kingdom of God. You're included in there. God gave that to you. And so this portion of God's word, it's almost like, you know, a mountain. They're just more and more and more and more until it fills the room. It fills the land. And then you come down to verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is surnamed, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that he would do you good in the inner man and help you to grow, all right, to be rooted and grounded in love. Then verse 18. It's almost now that the writer writer is just running out of words here. Verse 18, that may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passeth all knowledge. You just can't get it. Verse 20, now unto him that is able to give or to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. He just can do everything that we need and he does so exceedingly, not abundantly, but exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and even we can think about the Lord has given and given and given now. What have you given to him? We just went through a phenomenal amount of stuff there. And I can assure you, we're only getting started. Have you given him your life? Have you given him thanks today? Have you given him praise and worship? Or do we grumble? Do we just complain? Or do we sit back and think, you know, wow. Oh, you've given to me so much, I can't even get it all. You can't understand it all. If you're not saved today, we've encouraged you to give your life to the Lord. John, what a great name. Jehovah, that generous, that good and abundant giver. Hey, would you bow down and give him thanks and worship and glory? Would you take him to be your saver? Give him your life, your praise, worship none other. Love and serve him alone. Let's take our hymn books.